All right, well, we are going to continue in Romans chapter 14, if you'd like to turn there. If you were here last week, Pastor Steve taught us uh, through verses 1 through 9, and he talked about how uh, one of the best things in the world, almost the best thing in the world, is when the church is working correctly, when it's working right. The church is wonderful when it's working right, but when it's working wrong, some things happen. And last week, Pastor Steve talked about that people in the church can tend to argue about their opinions on issues, okay, on things that the Bible neither condones or things that the Bible says, no, you can't do that. It's kind of those gray areas. It's those disputable matters. It's those things that we have to form a conviction and an opinion on. So that's what Pastor Steve talked about last week, and he mentioned a few of those things uh, from Romans. Romans talked about what kind of meat that they should eat, all right? Now, we don't, we don't, we don't really worry about what kind of meat we eat too often, um, but I thought of something last night. Um, what if one of our Muslim friends asked us to come eat, and they had what's called halal meat? Do we know what this is? Okay. So I looked it up, a couple different sources. I hope I'm getting this right. But when they prepare halal meat, which is meaning it's acceptable for them to eat, they say the little prayer of Muhammad is our prophet and Allah is God. Okay. So I wonder if sometimes we might have that opportunity and we eat this meat that when it was prepared, it was... When it was slaughtered, there was that little saying said over it, okay? Kind of a similar thing. The other thing the Romans argued about is which day they worshipped on, which day they worshipped God, or which holidays they celebrated. Another thing is, um, you know, we don't deal with this today in the church, but should I drink alcohol or not? Right, we don't have a problem with that anymore these days. We don't ever talk about that, do we? So they had those kind of arguments, and it didn't really, everybody didn't come to the same conclusion, and it was okay. A couple things today that Pastor Steve mentioned last week. What do we watch on TV and in movies? What's acceptable for us? Are those gray areas? Are those things that we say no to? Are there things we say yes to? Or getting tattoos? Or homeschooling? What about smoking? That's a debatable one. In some states, you might be smoking marijuana now that it's legal. What do we do with that? Gonna have to figure that out. How about which political party you belong to as a Christian? That's debatable, isn't it? Nobody debates about that, though, either. We have that all figured out. Should women work outside the home when they have kids? That's a debatable issue. What should women wear? How about yoga pants? That's one I've heard. Should women wear yoga pants? So there's all these things. There's, we could go on and on and on about all these lists of things that we disagree about, right? And Paul said, there's a problem with that. We shouldn't be disagreeing about that. So we put people in two different categories, the weak in faith, who they have a little less knowledge of God's word, they have a little, little less freedoms, they feel that they can 
participate in. And then the strong who have maybe a little bit more knowledge of Scripture and a little bit more freedoms they feel that they can participate in. And so at times, those two groups of people begin to argue. They begin to judge each other. They begin to say, well, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you don't know anything. No, you don't know anything. And they look down on each other. And it says they despise each other. So that's when the church is not working right, that we begin to argue about these things. What we're going to do today is let Romans 14 help us figure out how we're going to make these decisions. How do I decide? How do I form a conviction? What does God want me to do as an individual with these issues that the Bible just isn't 100% clear on? We're going to figure that out. So um, we're going to look at the whole of Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to jump around a bit, so you'll just have to, just have to hang in there, put your seatbelt on, it'll be good. Um, and in that, also, I'm going to probably miss a few things. There's probably, there's a million different tangents Romans 14 could go down. We could have three or four sermons on the chapter, but we're not going to do that. Um, so I'm going to miss some stuff. There might be some things I gloss over, and that's okay. But I do I have a resource for you that I would like you, uh, if you want, to to purchase. It's a book. Uh, it is probably uh, one of the best commentaries. Like, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go buy a commentary. But uh, it's probably one of the best commentaries on Romans 14 that I've ever read. And it deals with uh, the number one issue, at least in America, in the church, and that's alcohol. Okay? So the book is called God Gave Wine by a guy named Kenneth Gentry Jr., and he actually abstains from alcohol, if you want to know. But anyway, it is a wonderful, wonderful book, okay? And it, it's very helpful. So I would suggest that you get it. God gave wine what the Bible says about alcohol, okay? You don't know what it says yet, so you might want to go get it. Anyway, it's great. So, Romans 14. So here we go. How do we make decisions? How do we figure out? How do I decide what is acceptable for me to participate in? If you haven't pulled out your sermon notes, go ahead and do that. This is number one, question number one. How do I do this? If we figure out how we're supposed to make a decision or how we are supposed to figure out a disputable matter or a gray area, and we know how to do it, that'll serve us for the rest of our lives. It'll be a wonderful thing. If we have some kind of grid to know how do I make a decision, we can latch on to that for the rest of our lives because we're going to be making decisions for the rest of our lives. So during the 11 o'clock service, we're going to be honoring the graduates, okay, high school seniors who've graduated, and they have a lot of choices they're going to have to make in the next four years. Mom and dad won't be there. They're not probably not going to be around church here. So they're going to be on their own making decisions. How do they make those decisions? And even though some of us are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or older, we are still making decisions. And I think God still wants us to think about how I make the decisions in my life. So how do I, how do I decide this? How do I decide what is acceptable? First, we need to recognize that God has welcomed me into his family. We touched on this last week, but Romans 14.3 says that God has welcomed both the weak in faith as well as the strong. 
John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all, all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Contrary to popular opinion, not everyone in the world is a child of God. We're not all children of God. It's only those people who have put their faith in Christ and believed in his name and believed in what he has done on the cross by dying for their sins and rising from the dead three days later. Those are the children of God. Those are the ones that God gives the right to become children of God. So as children, it answers this question of who am I? Everybody has this question, who am I? And if we have that answer, if we know who we are, that helps determine what we do, and it helps us determine what decisions that we make. When we recognize that we are in God's family, we're God's children, we recognize we have a new father, a new authority. We have a new authority in our lives. We have new siblings. As Christians, we're brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. When we have siblings, we have to figure out what do I do with these people? How do I deal with these people? What do I do with these people when I disagree with them? So we have new siblings. There are new rules which the Father sets. And we need to figure out, how do I obey these? Because these are new. These are different. What do I do? We have a new home. We have a new home with God. Um, you know, I, I think about my, my grandmother's house. She had a pillow that said, home is where the heart is, right? A lot of us probably still have that pillow or something written on a wall. Home is where the heart is. And the Bible teaches that our heart and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So our heart now has a new home, and that's with God. So we have a new way of life. We have a new father. We have new rules. We have new siblings. We have a new life. We've got to figure out. And once we know we're a child of God, that tells us how we're to make decisions. So I know a lot of us could see this maybe and played out on a TV show or maybe in our own home when a child does something and dad doesn't like it. Dad would say, not in my house, right? We have to figure out what we do in God's house. What does God want me to do? Letter B, we have to then secondly recognize that God or Jesus is my master, Lord, and judge. He died for me to save me from sin, and now my life is lived for him. So we recognize that Jesus is our master and Lord and judge. Romans 14, 4 says, It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The master that it's speaking about is Jesus. He is the master of both the weak in faith and the strong. He's our master. When we recognize who our master is, that changes how we make decisions as well. Romans 14.8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Again, we belong to the Lord. We're in his family. And if we live, we live for him. And he even says, if we die, we die to him as well. He's our Lord. And then verses 10 and 12 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, 
So then each of us will give an account of himself to the Lord. Can you imagine that? Standing in front of our judge, giving an account of ourselves to him. So we have to answer who we are, but we also have to answer who God is. And we have to realize that our Father has desires for us. We have to realize our Master has some rules for us. We have to realize that our Lord wants us to do things because we're part of Him, part of His family. And we have to realize that one day we're going to stand in judgment in front of Him. That will help us make decisions. The ultimate in humility is when we realize that God is God and we're not. When we start there, that'll help us make decisions. When it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, it's about us recognizing that he's God and we're not. And we begin to live for him and through him and to him. Let her see, I must become fully convinced in my own mind Remember the question we're answering, how do I decide? How do I decide what I participate in? We have to be fully convinced in our own minds. Romans 14, 5, the second part of that verse says, each person should be fully convinced in his own mind. The Christian life is not just walking around this world doing things because we want to do things and kind of saying, well, you know, God's okay with this. God's okay with that. God doesn't want me to do that. And just kind of guessing. Christian life isn't about guessing. The Christian life and making these decisions is about being fully convinced in your mind. So how do I become fully convinced in my mind? Paul already told the Romans in chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, making decisions, being fully convinced, starts in our mind when our mind is renewed. And when our mind is renewed and changed, we're transformed. And then guess what it says? It says that we are able to discern. We can figure out what God wants us to do. It's something we can actually do, is figure that out. We can figure out what is good, What's acceptable to God? And he even says what is perfect. But what do we, how do we do that? How do we renew our minds? I think it begins from his word. From a careful reading and study of God's word with the purpose of learning something. Not just reading my chapter a day. That's, that's good. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But reading with a purpose in order to figure something out. When we have a decision to make, when we are figuring out a gray area that we're not too sure on, we have to dig into Scripture and figure it out. But then there's a problem of, well, what if I don't know what to do? This is a big book. Do I start in Genesis and read until I find the Bible talking about something is it going to tell me about yoga pants? I don't know. Should I start there? What if we don't know what to do? What if we don't know what to do with the Bible? Then the next thing, we need to be convinced through the help of his people. There are people 
who know this book better than you, better than me. There are people who have lived the Christian life longer than you or longer than me. And we need to go to them and use them and figure out their knowledge and their wisdom and their life and what they've done and how it's worked and how it hasn't worked and what they would advise us to do. That's another part of humility is realizing they have more knowledge than I do. They have more experience than me. They've lived this Christian life longer than I have. Maybe they could help me because I don't know everything. There's humility that comes along with that. And they can help you figure that out. They can teach you. I would love to teach you how to study this book. They can teach you how to do it on your own. And the next thing, we need to live by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul has already said in Romans that there's no good thing in his flesh. But deep down in his inner man, he desires to obey God. So there's this war between the unredeemed flesh and then the spirit and what the Spirit is guiding us to do. The Spirit wants us to go toward obeying God and to go away from the things that our flesh wants to do. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit also, in 1 Corinthians, the Spirit also teaches us the deep things of God through His Word. So sometimes when we don't understand what He's saying, the Spirit will help us understand the Word. So when we've searched scripture, we have, we have asked people who know better than us, when we are living by the Spirit, we start to form a conviction. We start to be convinced about what I can participate in and what I can't participate in. But there's a little warning here. The warning is when the weak in faith begin to do this, they grow stronger. They can grow stronger. They can have a better knowledge of God. They can have a better knowledge of what God wants me to do. And they can grow stronger. God doesn't want the weak in faith to remain weak. And neither does Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, it says to the weak, Paul says to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. So Pastor Steve's going to mention this verse next week, but I want to point out that Paul became like the weak. He took on the weak's position. It says in order to win the weak, and that's not to win them to Jesus because we know the weak in faith already have faith. They're already believers. And he says, I do this so that I can share with them in the blessings of the gospel. That is, that we can have fellowship with each other no matter your opinion, even if it, you disagree with me. Another blessing, though, is how Paul is winning them. What is he winning them to? He's winning them over to his side, 
Paul puts himself in the camp of the strong. Paul wants people to be strong. Paul wants people to have a greater knowledge of the scripture. And I want us to understand something. We've got to remember this. When, when Paul was going around, when he wrote to the Romans, the Thessalonians, the Colossians, whoever he was writing to, he was bringing new stuff. They did not have this nice little book all packaged so they could read it perfectly in their language. All 66 books, all 66 hadn't been written yet. So Paul was bringing new stuff, new revelation God had given him, given him so that they could be like, really? I didn't know that. And then he can say, yeah, that's what God wants you to do. And then they say, oh, okay. That's how it works, right? It's that easy. But remember that. Paul was bringing new stuff. So sometimes we might read something that's new and we're like, oh, I didn't know that. But Paul doesn't want the weak to remain weak and neither does God. It's at this point also when we're forming a conviction, the strong can become conceited. The strong can stand there and read scripture and be like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yep, I got it together. I told that person I was right. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, we all know that, that all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The strong can be tempted to be conceited about how much they know and try to flaunt it so everyone can see it and know it. I was thinking about this last night. How can we, how can we flaunt what we know? How can we flaunt our freedoms? We can flaunt them with our words, right? We can flaunt them on Facebook with our words. We can flaunt them whenever we're talking to someone and we say, oh, pff, I know everything about that, let me tell you. So the weak have to be willing to be made strong, and the strong have to be willing to realize when they're being prideful. There was about 10 years ago where I realized I was in the camp of the weak. Okay? And I was a, I was a, a prideful weak. Right? When it came to an issue, the issue was the issue of alcohol by the book. So it's a little risk here, but probably 10 years ago, um, uh, some of our high school students said, hey, can you teach us what the Bible says about alcohol? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I about whipped into what I had taught for years and years and years and what I've been taught for years and years and years. Um, and I was like, now wait, let's do this in a couple weeks. And so I took my own advice and I dug into scripture. I threw out everything I thought I knew, okay? And I, for two weeks, annoyed both my secretary and my wife, okay? I'm not sure if my secretary remembers this, my administrative assistant. But I locked myself in my office for hours and hours every day and didn't talk to anyone. Then I got home and I locked myself in my room for hours and hours and didn't talk to anyone because I'm like, I'm gonna figure this out, okay? Because growing up, I, was, I went to this very, very strict uh, Christian school. Um, it was great, I'm glad I went. But it was very, very strict. And, and, and what they taught was like, absolutely not ever, nothing, never, okay? and almost avoided the issue because didn't want it to come up. 
So I studied it, and you know what I wanted it to say. I wanted it to agree with me. But guess what? It didn't agree with that notion of zero, none, never. Okay? Now, there are plenty, 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 plenty of warnings in Scripture about alcohol. Okay? But a thorough study of Scripture, talking to people who knew way more than I did, because, you know, at whatever, 28, you think you know everything. Um, and through the Spirit, through lots of discussions, I had, to, I had to admit I was weak. I was weak in faith. And I almost didn't want the Bible to say what it did. I read verses, and I'm like, that's not in there. That's, somebody just put that in there, okay? So there's about 160 verses uh, that mention wine, strong drink, grape juice, Okay? And I studied those like a crazy man, all right? If you want to sit down with me sometime, we can go through them. It's a lot of fun, okay? But I did that, and I came to a conclusion that didn't agree with Brett's stance. So I had to scoot over from the weak in faith, a prideful weak, because I looked down on those who had a drink every now and then, and I had to move over here. My knowledge changed, and my my freedom changed. Okay, that's what can happen when you study the Bible, and it's scary. And I came to a conclusion. I think. I think all of those years. What I was taught, I think some of the people who taught me were scared. I think they were scared to look at the Bible as well. Okay. I'm not telling anybody to go out and drink. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying study the Bible about everything. There's going to be so much you realize you don't know. And it's great when that happens because God is way, way smarter than we are. All right, enough of that. Letter D, we have to ask ourselves, will this decision honor God? Romans 14, 6 says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks. So both of these groups of people who abstain and the ones who don't abstain, they're honoring the Lord. They believe they are honoring the Lord because you know why? They've become fully convinced in their own mind. They're not questioning it anymore. They're fully convinced. Remember that. When you make a decision, you have to be fully convinced. So they believe both are honoring the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, am I honoring the Lord? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Am I glorifying God or am I glorifying myself? Am I glorifying God or am I glorifying my position? Am I glorifying God or am I glorifying, I don't know, what everybody else has told me? We have to glorify God in every decision. We have to honor him. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There was a lot of me that did not want to teach what I found out in the Bible about alcohol. You know why? I wanted to please man. Okay? 
I didn't want to look like I was wrong in the past. I didn't, I wanted to uphold what I had been taught. And that's just a bunch of pride coming out. So who are we glorifying? Who are we honoring? And the letter E, will I be thankful to God after I make this decision? That's another big question. It's kind of an odd question, but it's an important one. These people, both who abstained from things and didn't abstain from things, they both were thankful to God for their decision. And that's not just a flippant, a flippant like, thank you, God. <laughs> it's, I'm going to be thankful to God after I make this decision. We have to think about that. Will I be thankful or will I regret it? Then letter F, this is a good one. Have I become persuaded to the point where I believe Jesus would agree with me? Holy cow, what? I have to do that? That's what Paul did. Romans 14, 14. Paul said, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, he's talking about food. He's not saying everything is clean, okay? He's talking about food. But the main point is, he says, I am persuaded. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. So whatever decision we make, we better come to the conclusion that Jesus would agree with me. Wow. Do you think that might change how we make our decisions? All of those things? Recognize I'm in the family of God. God's my master. He's my Lord. He's going to judge me one day. I have to give an account to him. I have to honor him with this decision. I have to be thankful for this, this decision. And I need to put the stamp of Jesus' approval on it and know that he agrees with me. That's not just walking through the world making little decisions here and there. Those things are things we can use for the rest of our lives making decisions. And it'll change us. It'll change how we do that. Now, the second thing, how do I decide when to participate? How do I decide when to participate in these things? So I've decided, I've made some convictions, I've, I feel free to participate in some things, and some things I don't, so when do I do this? Okay, these are very specific here. So letter A, if I make this decision, will I purposefully be putting a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another believer who is present here with me? Romans 14, 13 says, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a believer. So there's, there's no better analogy. Imagine you have a big cinder block and there's somebody there with you and you're like, I'm gonna get them. And you drop it and then they trip and fall. Okay? This is so middle school. Okay? So God knew middle schoolers could laugh. So this, we, you know, Middle school, high school, this happens all the time, right? Especially when I was in high school, it was in the, in the lunchroom. Somebody, you know, some, some very manly dude would take everybody's trays and see how many he could pile up. And then he'd walk down between the aisles and somebody inevitably would like shove their chair back and then it'd all go crashing and people would, would love it. So, Will I purposefully put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another believer? A stumbling block or hindrance, those are words that mean a trap. You're setting a trap. The word hindrance in the Greek is scandalon, a scandal, creating a scandal. And you can purposefully do this. People do this. Christians do this to each other. 
It's a little weird. But some people might be like, oh, come on. Just, it's not a big deal. Hey, why don't you get over those, like, old grandma rules? Okay? You need to get over that. Don't you know the Bible? What is wrong with you? Okay? You see everybody else around you doing it, and it's fine. So you're purposely trying to take a weaker brother and say, do it. Get over it. This happens. The second thing, letter B, this is even more crazy. If I make this decision, will I unintentionally be putting a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another believer? Do I want to be seen by other believers at this place doing what I'm doing? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, you strong people, you strong, I know the Bible people, if somebody sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And then what if he does? He says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. And this word destroyed is one of the strongest words in the New Testament of destroyed. It's like I've thrown you on the ground, I've stomped on you, and I'm rubbing it in. I've destroyed you. In both instances, the stumbling block or hindrance means that the person actually sinned against their conscience because of your knowledge, because of your example. Letter C, how do I know when to participate? You have to ask yourself, is my conscience doubtful about participating right now? Romans 14, 23 says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if at any point you're, you're your, your mind, your conscience says, better not do this right now. Don't do it. Or the Bible says you're sinning. If you're doubting, it's not coming from faith. So just don't do it. That's what it says. So when do I participate in these things? Well, when you're not purposely causing someone to stumble, when you're not unintentionally might cause someone to see you and stumble, and when your conscience says, yeah, go ahead. And that's after you have become fully convinced in your mind of it from Scripture, and you can attach Jesus' name, and he says, I agree with you. That's a, that's a tall order right there. And number three, what should I remember and always be aware of when participating or not participating? What do I need to think about when I'm doing these things that are disputable? What do I need to think about? Letter A, the strong are not to judge the weak in faith, and the weak in faith are not to judge the strong. Romans 14, 10 through 13 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, which we've read already, each of us will give an account to the Lord. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. And all of God's people said, amen. And why do we say amen? 
Why do we like that verse? Why is like the most famous verse, even among unbelievers, judge not? Or add this one to it. Do not pass judgment on anyone any longer. Why is that everybody's favorite verse? Because, because we don't have any idea what it means to not judge someone. A lot of times what we want that to mean is, don't judge me. Like, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to make my own decisions. God's my judge, so you stay out of it. Or on the flip side, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not anybody's judge. I'm not going to judge you, okay? You make your own decisions. But guess what? That's not what it means at all. It's not what it means. Would it work with, as a parent? Like, think of this. You know, your little son, Billy. Let's say Billy punches his sister in the face every day, and he enjoys it. Would there be a day, like, after a month that you'd say, Billy, come here. And little Billy comes here. Say, hey, Billy, I know, I know that you like to punch your sister, don't you? Uh-huh. Do, do you, does she like it? No. Okay, well, I just want you to know something. You have every right to do that, and I'm not your judge, honey. I'm not going to judge you. So you go, go get back to it. Would that work? Parents, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with God either. It doesn't work with Christians. It doesn't work with Paul. One bit. There are two types of judgments that Christians do between each other. One we should do, one we shouldn't do. We'll start with the one we should do. We are supposed to judge those who are fellow believers when it comes to issues of clear sin that they're caught up in. Now, this is a whole other sermon. It's a whole other can of worms to open up, but I'm going to crack the tab a little bit, okay? 1 Corinthians 5, 11 and 12 says, But now I'm writing to you, Paul says, <clears throat> not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother and say they're in the family. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And then Paul says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Like before this, he's saying, I'm not talking about people outside the church. He says, is it not those inside the church you're supposed to judge? The answer is, yeah, it is. And then in Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. So this is all about Christians in relationship to each other, loving each other, caring enough about each other to say, hey, Billy, come here. What you're doing is not right, buddy. Okay? We need to... We need to get rid of this. Let me show you what God's word says about this. Okay, with my kids, sometimes I'd get down to them and I'd be like, let's say my kid, Billy, not Billy, but oh, okay, I'll pick one, Jack. Okay, Jack did not punch his sister in the face, just so you know. Okay, hey, Jack, who am I? You're my dad. Who are you? I'm Jack. Well, no, who are you in relation to me? I'm your son. You're, yeah, okay, so you're my son. I'm your dad. I love you don't I? Yeah, I know you love me. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. If you love me, I want you to do what I tell you to do. Would you do that? Yeah. Well, 
I've told you not to punch your sister over and over again. I don't want you to punch her at all, all and that's wrong. I need you to stop. There's going to be some consequences, but I need you to stop because you love me and I love you. Okay. Right? It's not always that easy either, but that's the idea. It's a gentle restoration of, other, of each other. So don't go home and make a list of people you're not going to eat with. Because you're probably on their list. Okay? Whole other sermon. The second type of judgment we're not supposed to do is this one in Romans 14. We're not supposed to judge someone's salvation and spiritual maturity when it comes to their opinions on disputable issues. The judgment here is when the weak in faith sees someone who's participating in a freedom which they are fully convinced about, and the weak start to judge their salvation and spiritual maturity. So I'll use myself as an example, okay? Not real life example, but let's just say. I'm eating at O'Charlie's over here, across the room, group of ladies. Doesn't matter that they're ladies. Group of ladies sitting over here. One lady says to the rest of the ladies, oh my goodness. Oh, and she's Southern. <laughs> I don't know how that came out. I, I have to stick with that now, don't I? Oh my goodness, do you see Pastor Brett? I do not think he is drinking Sprite. I do not think the Lord is pleased with him and he's not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How did our church, how did our church even ordain him as a pastor? I don't even know if he's saved. We're not supposed to do that. But it happens all the time. We don't know it because we don't hear the ladies. But that's what happens. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to judge someone's salvation and spiritual maturity based on a disputable issue. Then when it comes to the strong, on the flip side, what the strong do is they, they lump the weak in faith into the legalistic Pharisee, right? Because those legalists, those legalists, they only live by a set of rules. And, and they're trying to earn God's favor and salvation because of all of the things they're obeying or not obeying their little list. They're probably not even saved. They don't even understand salvation. They don't even know the Bible. Paul says, stop judging one another. Okay? When I was weak in faith about the issue of alcohol, I wasn't a Pharisee. I wasn't trying to earn salvation through it. It was something I was convinced at the time. But it changed. And there's lots of those issues where we can pick one or the other based on God's word. But we're not supposed to judge one another's salvation based on those things. All right, the next thing to remember is that my actions have the ability to be part of the cause for the sin and destruction of a believer who is weak in faith. We got to hurry up with the last few here. So I might skip a few things, but... Um, Paul said, if a brother is grieved by what we eat, we're not walking in love. We need to walk in love toward each other. And the word grieved, when he says, you're, if your brother is grieved, that is not annoyed. That's not the lady sitting at the table saying, oh my goodness, can you believe what he is doing? I just don't like that. That's not what it's talking about. It's not annoyed. It's not upset with. It's not ticked off at them grieved when your brother's grieved that's because they have tripped up and they have sinned and they've grieved their conscience in a deep deep sorrowful way 
because they feel like they have sinned against God and against themselves, and they have. It's not an annoyance with what the other person is doing. Letter C, the main things we need to focus on in the kingdom of God where Jesus is king and we are his servants are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think you have some blanks there. We're told in 1 Corinthians 30, 1.30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The righteousness that the church focuses on is the righteousness of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, And he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only through the righteousness of Christ that we're righteous. Then we're supposed to live in peace. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you all were called as a body, to live at peace, not arguing over opinions. And the joy in the Holy Spirit. We know from Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and other things. He wants us to know that the joy of the Holy Spirit is better than the joy of any freedom that you decide to participate in. And in Romans 14, 18 and 19, he says, whoever thus serves Christ, whoever serves Christ in this way, they're not serving Christ based on their, their strengths or their weakness, meaning what they decide they can do or not do. Whoever lives based on the righteousness of Christ and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, those are the ones who are acceptable to God and approved by men, both. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. I think it's interesting Paul used, he said, don't put a stumbling block, don't throw a cinder block in front of somebody, but use blocks to build them up. We want to build people up. We want them to be strong and grow in their love. Next, letter D. It's a good thing to give up your freedoms. Romans 14, 21 says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. This verse does not tell anyone to stop eating meat or stop drinking wine. If we had time for a Greek lesson, we would find out that the verb tenses would read like this. It is good not to eat meat at a time. And it's good not to drink wine for a time. It's good to not do anything for a time if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. We as Christians don't like this, but it's situational. It is. So when I was in high school, I went over to a friend's house with some group of friends, all pretty good kids, weren't doing anything wrong, and they wanted to play cards. Well, I had a friend who didn't play cards, okay? So he pulled me aside. He's like, Brett, I don't play cards. What am I going to do? I'm like, I'll take care of it. Now, what I could have done is say, what? why do you play cards? Like, I think at first I was like, what? Why don't you play cards? And he explained it to me. He's the smartest guy I know to this day. He explained it to me. I'm like, okay. So, unbeknownst to him, a few minutes later, I went over to the people. I said, hey, I don't want to play cards. They're like, what? I'm like, I don't want to play cards. Let's do something else. And they're like, okay. That's what the high school guys do, right? Okay. So, we never played cards. He didn't know what I did. It was great. I took on the failings of the week in order to love him and not play cards. 
because he didn't want to. Sometimes we need to give up our freedoms. And lastly, it's good to shut up about your freedoms. On occasion. Romans 14.22 says, The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Sometimes we just need to shut up about what we know. Okay? If, if, I, was, if I was with my friend now, and my friend, which probably does play cards now, but if he said, I don't play cards, I'd be like, I could, I could have the option of saying, you know what? I'm going to grab my Bible. I'm going to teach you a thing or two, son. Okay? But sometimes I just need to shut up and be like, okay, no big deal. I don't need to share everything I know because most people don't care what I know. Most people don't care what you know. Now, if they ask, if they're wondering your opinion, if they come to you as that wiser, older, I know a little more, then tell them and share. My question for you is, where would you put yourself? The weak in faith, the strong, or maybe there's something in there where you need to, I, I need to form a conviction on something. I've been questioning this in my mind, whether it's what I watch on TV or what I eat or what I drink or what I do or whatever. I need to form a conviction. And whatever that conviction is based on what we talked about, say, say yes to God. Okay, God, I'll do that. And sometimes give up that freedom and sometimes shut up about that freedom. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for who you are. Thank you for um, your love for us. I thank you that we can take a, a, a difficult, weird passage like this and apply it to how we live as Christians. Lord, help everybody in this room to love each other more and more all the time. Help us to love each other um, no matter our opinions on things. Help us not to be caught up in arguments and differences. Help us all, help us all to grow stronger in our knowledge of you, our knowledge of your word, our understandings of the freedoms that we have, and also stronger in the, the things that you tell us we're not supposed to do. Help us know when to confront sin gently and lovingly. Help us to know um, when we're supposed to participate in things and when we're not. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us more than ever in these things. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.